Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here at Three Creeks. And if you are uh, part of the family and you're back, just want to say welcome back. It was fun to sing with you this morning. If you are new, if you're just checking things out, welcome. We are, we're thrilled you're here. And I acknowledge every week that you could be anywhere on the planet today, and yet uh, you've chosen to be here. And so for that, I'm thankful. I'm hopeful that, uh, I'm hopeful that today you will leave very encouraged. I hope that the, the Word of God, what Kendall just read right here, will, uh, will buoy you up, will, will encourage your spirit, that you'll walk out of here with with your head up, because you know how much God loves you, that he's crazy about you. I hope that as we go through this passage, it's kind of a, it's a heavy passage. It's kind of a heady passage. It's not one that you can read quick and understand immediately. There's three different quotations from the Old Testament that Peter refers to. You know, when he says, uh, I mean, think about this. He says, as, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by God, or excuse me, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones. Is there anything deader than a stone? Hard to think of something deader than a stone, but, but through Jesus, we are now living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. I mean, this is getting heavy and heady quick. He says in scripture, it says, and he quotes Isaiah two times, then he quotes Psalms and talks about this stone, this cornerstone that is chosen by God. And if we trust in Jesus, then we won't be put to shame. But he acknowledges that some people aren't going to trust in Jesus. They're going to stumble and fall over this person of Jesus. And then he says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into a wonderful light. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Once you were not a people, but now you are. And what Peter's talking about is what we're doing here. He's actually talking about church. He's talking about church people, Christian people. And, you know, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think of the word church. If you closed your eyes and I said church, what's the image that would come to mind? Would it be a, a building that has stained glass on it? Or maybe you picture the living room, or maybe you picture a middle school or an elementary school. When you, when you think of church, what's the definition? Is it a building? Because when we drive down the road, we say, oh, there is a church. And there is a, or we, we go to the church, so we kind of use it as the building a little bit. Or maybe some, you might think of it as a service, like we're, this is the verbiage we use, we're going to church, we're going to the 10 o'clock service, but we call it church. But the word in the New Testament, in, in the original language it was written, it's called, it's the ecclesia, which literally means the gathering or the assembly, and it's the use, it's, it's the word that's translated into Church, And so the best definition of church is not a building or a service, but it's the people of God. It's Christians. And I think that maybe the best definition of church is it's, it's Christians gathered together. That is the church. 
And so in, in some sense, we're actually wrong when we say, oh, there is a church or we're going to church. The best use of the word is that we are the church. I'm going to be with the church. That's where the church meets on Sundays. And then there's a whole other layer of church in our minds. Not only, you know, what is it or, or what, what do you think of when it comes to mind, but there's a whole other layer of like, how do you feel when you think about church? And I know that in a room this size that the feelings towards church pretty wide spectrum because you got some people who just love it and you've always loved it and your parents made you come and you still loved it and you just have always loved it and so you don't miss a week and then there's some people in here understandably you are skeptical and you are like man why do we need another church there's three of them on Stigler Road right here and there's people in here who are just checking it out for the first time I'm going to guess that there's somebody in here, you didn't think you were going to like it, but you do. Like you tried it out, somebody made you come, and you're like, you know what, not so bad. I'm going to stay here a little bit. I'm going to keep checking it out. I know there's people in the room who have been wounded in a major, real way by a church or a leader of a church. And so in your mind, you're like, church, good for me. But from your experiences, you go, this is hard for me. And there's people in here that have been going to church for 35 years, and there's somebody who's been in church for 35 minutes right now. This is their first time. And so there's a pretty wide range of experiences and feelings towards church. I, uh, I grew up going to church, rarely missed a Sunday. The trainer family was was often in church. My friends got to go skiing, but the trainer boys, Megan and Joel and David, we were in church. There really wasn't much negotiating with mom and dad about church. From time to time, we'd have a, a soccer game or something on a Sunday morning, but the trainers were going to church Saturday night. That was the deal. We went to church. And then as I got a little bit older, if I'm being honest, it just kind of got a little stale to me. It was just kind of like what I did. And then it got to the point where in college, I made a deal with all of my roommates. We all loved Jesus, but none of us were allowed to be pastors. We weren't going to work in churches. And here we are. Joke's on me. And I, but I just, I don't know. It wasn't that I didn't love Jesus, but maybe I just, I was just disinterested in, in church. I don't know why. It's hard to explain, but maybe you have felt the same way. And then, so after college, I started working at uh, sports camps, Christian sports camps, Soccer, basketball, baseball, everything. I just, I loved it. And my family, we went to Gabon, Africa in 2015. It's where I grew up as a missionary kid. I lived there till I was 12. And so this was the trainer family journey to the motherland where we took, you know, our spouses. Morgan got to go. It was, it was a great trip. And these people hadn't seen me in like 15 years. I was 27 years old. I left when I was 12. So we start making the rounds and seeing all the people that I grew up with. And the question inevitably was, Joel, what do you do now? What do you do? You're 27. What do you do? And I, uh, I would just puff my chest out and go, I work at a Christian sports camp. Isn't that pretty impressive? You don't think that's impressive, apparently. But I thought that was pretty <laughs> impressive. And I thought that that would really make them really just think I was something special. And they would just respond kindly, oh, okay, cool, yeah. And then they would go to my brother, and they would say, and what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. 
and I would just watch their faces. And they were so, they said, you what? And he said, I'm a pastor. And the general response was, what an honor that you get to work at a church. God's chosen, God's chosen people. What an honor that is. And I'm like, he's a youth pastor. I'm the kid, come on. And they were just so, they thought that was just such an amazing thing that God had called my brother at the time to be a worship and a youth pastor at a church. They revered the church. They loved the church. Every time the church was open, they were there. They loved being together. And they just thought, man, what, an, what a high honor that you would get to serve in a church. This is not how I felt. I was like, I don't know. They thought it was an honor. I was like, eh. And it was the beginning of this process of God just changing my heart to, to love the church again. Maybe that'd be a good question to start today. Where are you at with your love for the church? Is this just something you do, a box that you check, or are you in love with the church? Because honestly, if you look at the New Testament and you look at what Peter writes, what we're going to look at today, man, those people in Gabon were a lot closer than me to feeling how God wants us to feel about the church. You see, you know, we got questions about church, but the people, do you remember who Peter was writing to? We're in this series. We're going through 1 Peter. It's a, it's a powerful, packed book at the end of the New Testament. And I guess we're in week three of about nine or 10 that we're going to be here in 1 Peter. And so we're just in chapter two. And if you remember, Peter was Jesus's closest disciple. He's the unofficial leader, the first one called, the loudest one, the most vocal. He, he becomes this pillar of the church in the first century. Right when Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter is essentially in charge. I mean, he is the one proclaiming the news of Jesus all over the world. And he writes to all these people in all these places. This is modern-day Turkey, Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, you see that he actually addresses, this is who I'm writing to. And he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, not just Jews, both that have put their faith in Jesus, but they are in the minority and they're ostracized because the Jews disagree and the Romans don't understand. And so they're on the outside, but they're trying to figure out how do we do church? What is this supposed to look like? Are we supposed to have one service or two services? Can we serve snacks in the kids area, even if there are kids that are gluten-free? How do you do church? Can we have a haze machine? They're asking all the questions. What is church supposed to look like? And Peter in these six or seven verses that we're going to look at today, tells them about the church. And so for about 25 minutes right now, I want to tell you what Peter said about the church, what Peter says about us. The, uh, you see, you, you, thought, you thought maybe you were just coming to church again today. Maybe you're just coming, it's, it's like, this is what we do. We get ready on Sunday morning, we get the kids ready to go, we get there, we sing three songs, and then there's a message, and then there's a song, and we just do it. We just, this is what we do. Add water and stir. But today I hope that you will see that this is really, really special in God's eyes. Far more special than you felt when you walked in here today. That God is like watching this 
and delighting in the church being together. Peter gives these Christians five defining characteristics. I'm going to tell you all five, but I'm going to move quickly enough that we don't get stuck on any one of them because I want at the end to show you one thing that all five of them have in common. And so I'm going to try to keep moving as we, and, and we go through it. I'll show you all five. So first he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, basically everybody rejected Jesus, but chosen by God and precious to him, he says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that Peter wants us to know is that we are a spiritual house. We're a spiritual house. The, the Old Testament imagery is pretty thick here. You think about who Peter is writing to. These are people that would have understood where God's presence was the thickest. They would have understood this idea of connecting with God or a creator. Or a, they would have understood this concept. And Peter goes, you now, you church, are a spiritual house. And this would have alluded to, it, what would have come to their minds would have been this temple. Because for a couple thousand years, the place that people met God was at the temple. And the temple was beautiful. I mean, huge and gorgeous. The finest work was done on the temple. It had, you know, jewels in the wall. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. It's a sight to see. And this is where, for thousands of years, the presence of God is the thickest. The temple would have been their spiritual house. And then Peter kind of flips it. He goes, no, no, now you, church, not the building, not the service, you, the people, you are actually the spiritual house Meaning that we now are where God's presence is the thickest. And that is what separates the church from every other group of people or social group that you can find yourself in. We all have this innate human desire to belong, to be a part of a community. That's why people join gyms. That's why people join running clubs and book clubs and mommy playdates. That's why people do these things. There's a, there's a group on Facebook called, called Octonation. It's the world's largest fan base of octopuses. People love being together and being united around stuff that they love. Is it octopi? I don't know. A couple of, multiple octa, whatever. <laughs> I feel awkward. I'm going to move on. <laughs> Point is, people love being together. They love having a sense of community and belonging to a group of people. What separates the church is that this is a very spiritual experience. That there's something that you cannot see here. There's something that you cannot touch here. Meaning that, that the songs that we just sang, it's not just words to a tune with guitars, with people using the vocal cords to sing. There's something spiritual about it. When David writes in Psalms about singing songs, he talks about it being this fragrant offering to God. And God writes, he, he responds to David and says, I delight in the singing of my people. It warms the heart of God. If you can imagine, no matter how bad we sound or good we sound, it's his favorite playlist. He loves to hear the church sing. This is, a, this is profoundly spiritual. It's not just three songs. 
the, the verses that the kids are memorizing in Three Creeks Kids, they're not catchphrases. It's, it's the living and active word of God. And it says that when they, hide it, when they memorize it in their heads, it, 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 it means that they're hiding it in their heart. And in Psalm 119, it says that if we hide it in our heart, it might prevent us from sinning and destroying our lives. Being There's power back in my five-year-old Cooper is back in there. She is not memorizing six words in order. She is memorizing God's word that has spiritual implications. There's something profoundly spiritual about what's going on back by the jump houses. When we have our time of prayer in the back, that's not like just a place for you to go share how it's going. We're not just talking to the ceiling. We're, we're, it's a profoundly spiritual experience where there's something about it. You can't, even, you can't even put your finger on it. It's amazing. And it's profoundly spiritual. The church is the spiritual house. It's where the presence of God is the thickest. And Peter wants them to know that things have changed. You don't have to go to some big gaudy temple to be with God. When the people are together, that is a profoundly spiritual experience. In verses 6 through 8, Peter talks about three different, um, you, you can throw it up on the screen. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he, talks, he references a passage in Isaiah, two of them, and one in Psalms. And he, he identifies Jesus as this cornerstone, the cornerstone of the church. And if you read it up there, it says, the one who puts their trust in Jesus will not be put to shame. And then Peter acknowledges that there are going to be people who reject the cornerstone, who don't like the cornerstone, who are offended by the cornerstone, who stumble over the idea that there could only be one cornerstone. And Peter's saying those that put their trust in Jesus, these are the people that are being built into this spiritual house. I I love these couple verses. It reminds me when I read them that nothing else is allowed to be the cornerstone of a church if it wants to last. So that means that the kids program or the songs or the band or whatever, me, I cannot be the cornerstone of a healthy church because the wind will come and these walls will fall over if this thing is built on a person. Only Jesus Christ is a, is a worthy cornerstone of any healthy local church. And, and, and let's, you, I referenced potentially or perhaps that you were wounded by a church or somebody at a church. That's going to happen. As soon as Jesus is not the cornerstone, it's a matter of time before those walls come crashing down and you get something that God did not intend you to get out of a church. And then, and then Peter goes to verse 9 and he just starts rattling them off. He says, but you, church, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Let's just take two or three minutes on each one of them. We are a chosen people. We're a chosen people. Up until this point in history, the Jews, the Israelites, they're the chosen people. They're the, they're the ones that God speaks his promises over all the way down from Abraham. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he doesn't just hang out with Jews, Abraham's descendants. He hangs out with everybody. In fact, that's why a lot of people rejected him. They said, you're not playing by the rules if you're trying to be a religious person. And Jesus says, I came for everybody who wants to put their faith in me. It doesn't matter what your lineage, what your, your genealogical chart looks like. You can be in the church 
if you put your faith in me, the love and grace and salvation through Jesus is given to everybody who receives it. You can see that the care and the protection and the rescuing nature of God all through the Old Testament on Israel, that is the same attitude that God takes towards the church. We're the chosen people. I, I saw a video recently. Have you ever seen one of these where uh, somebody, like, fake, they fake somebody out and tell them that they win the lottery, but they actually didn't? You ever seen these? Where they tape yesterday's Powerball numbers, but then they give, so they know what the numbers are, but then they give them the card that says, oh, these are your Powerball numbers for the day. There's like $50 million up for grabs. And then they just set up a camera in the corner of the room. And then, you know, the person who has the card doesn't realize that it's yesterday's TiVoed results. And, you know, you see his eyes light up after about, I don't know how many numbers there are, seven. After four numbers, that he like stands up, you know. After five numbers, he's like starting to show everybody like, I'm two away. And then it, it hits all seven and it, the whole room, everybody else is in on it. But the whole room just goes berserk and he's jumping around screaming, everybody, they won $50 million. And then it's like, uh, you know, they push pause on it or something and they show him that it's fake. It's pretty funny to watch. You could YouTube it. <laughs> Hope I described it okay. Man, isn't it true that if you are a Christian, that you have won something that is infinitely more valuable than $50 million? And isn't it true that no one will ever push pause and say, fake out? And that feeling, you know what it's like to feel chosen? You probably know what it's like to not be chosen. Maybe you didn't make the team or whatever. And, and, and that's just like such a gut-wrenching feeling. But the feeling of being the chosen one, the feeling of being special, like how often do you feel that way when you get together with the church? Because that is how God feels about you. We are special. But this is a very important distinction. The last thing I'll say about this chosen people thing. We are not chosen because we are special. We are special because we are chosen. And that is the essence of the gospel. We, we, are not, we are not a chosen people because we earned it. We are a chosen people because God loves us. And now he looks down on us and goes, these are my chosen ones who I will love and protect and I delight in and I'm crazy about them. We're a chosen people. Then he says, we're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, meaning that we have been given access to God like the priests would have been in the temple. I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, but it's, it's, it, I got to share it again. This is such a, a beautiful picture of the access that we now have to God. In this temple that I've been talking about a little bit today, there's a couple of different sections. You go in the front door and then it's kind of a, well, for one, you had to be a descendant of Levi you had to be a Levitical priest to even get to go into the, the, what they call the holy place, which is kind of the, the main big room in the temple. And then there's a four-inch curtain that separates what's called the holy place from the holy of holies. And that is where God's presence rested the thickest in the Old Testament. The Ark of the Covenant is there. And once a year, the one high priest, once a year, they would tie a rope to his leg and they would put a bell on his ankle because there's a chance if he goes in there and he's unclean and he forgets about a sin he committed and doesn't confess and, and he just, he goes in there and he's unworthy of being in that holy of holies, there's a chance he's going to fall over dead. 
And nobody's going to get to go get him unless they drag him out. I mean, this is serious stuff. Then the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year to experience the thickest presence of God on the earth right there behind this four-inch curtain. If you read the account where Jesus dies on the cross, and if you remember the last words that Jesus said when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And when that happened, if you read the account, it says that something tore. Do you guys know what tore? The veil. The four-inch curtain ripped from top to bottom as a symbolic miracle that the access that only the high priest got to go have was now going to be available to everybody. And so now in the church, there's no hierarchy of who has special spiritual powers. I don't have any special spiritual power that you do not have. There, there, you don't have to go through somebody to get to God anymore. We are all, Paul, Peter is saying, we are all in this royal priesthood, meaning that we all have access to God in the same way that the high priest would have. See, it used to be that you had to kind of jump through a certain number of hoops to have this relationship with God. You had to be born of a certain descent. You had to not sin. You had to eat different things. You had to ceremonially clean yourself before going to be with God. But Jesus just throws it out and says, you know what? Everybody gets access. In fact, the more honest you are about the things that disqualify you, the closer you're going to even feel to being in a relationship with God. Then he says, we're a holy nation. This is the fourth one of five. We're a holy nation. We live in the United States. Many of us have been to Canada or Mexico, or if you're feeling real crazy on your honeymoon, the Bahamas. We serve uh, missionaries that live in Guinea. We're praying for nations like Ukraine. There are 270-some nations, I think, on the earth. And the way that these nations interact with one another is they send representatives to one another's countries, right? Call ambassadors. And these nations, they have embassies in other countries. So, for example, the United States has embassies in hundreds of different countries, and hundreds of countries have embassies in the United States. If you go to Washington, D.C., it's like Embassy Row, where you drive down the road and you see all of these buildings where other nations have kind of set up shop and that's how they're going to interact with our country and the number one person i guess in charge of each embassy is the ambassador right i, I read this this week and it uh it made sense to me i think it's it's worth repeating that the church we we are the embassy of heaven on earth. Meaning that this is not our home. Peter writes that a bunch of different times. He calls them exiles and sojourners and foreigners. He's going, this is not our home. Earth is not supposed to feel like home. You're supposed to feel a little out of place. But the church is the embassy of heaven. And, and Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he said, you guys are the ambassadors for Christ. Meaning that you represent Christ here on the earth. The church is the embassy. We are the ambassadors for Christ. I looked up 
the definition of ambassador, it's a person who acts as a representative or a promoter of a specific activity or product or nation. And, I, and as I read that, I thought, man, we are all ambassadors of something, right? Like we are all either consciously or subconsciously promoting something pretty much all the time. Here's a couple things. Some of us are ambassadors for essential oils. I'm not judging, just saying. Some of us are ambassadors for CrossFit, gluten-free diets, bird dog pants, and YouTube TV. Like you could get in a real good debate about whether you should get Hulu or Sling or YouTube TV. And we become these ambassadors because we don't have any problem at all promoting what we believe in. I mean, if I get a new, if I get a good deal on like a new pair of jeans, everybody hears about it for like two weeks. I mean, I'm unashamed in my promotion of jeans. And what Peter's saying is that you, church, are the embassy of heaven. You represent me to the earth. You are the ambassadors. You're a holy nation. And then the last one, we are God's special possession. Let me let you in on a little secret. Everything in your life that makes you feel unworthy of being with God or in church, every sin, every secret, every mistake, God already knows it all. And he's still crazy about us. And that doesn't make a lot of sense for somebody like me who has a hard time forgiving people and a hard time giving grace. But God says that you, church, are my special possession. Meaning that whatever you came in here with, you're still his favorite. God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. I had a conversation with a, a really good friend this week. His name is Jordan Smucker. He's the pastor at Ethos Church in Lewis Center. He came and shared a little bit with our staff at our staff meeting on Tuesday. And he said something that stuck with me. He said that, that uh, I think in the, in the 90s or the 80s, he referenced a study that Every, every, the, the three things that every kid wants to hear from their dad. He said every kid has three questions that they want to know. They want their dad to answer for them. He said, number one, every kid wants to know, am I loved? Number two, every kid wants to know, are you proud of me? And number three, every kid wants to know, am I good at anything? Do you love me? Are you proud of me? Am I good at anything? And for whatever reason, I, I don't know, I, I have conversations like this a lot, but, but Jordan's words just packed a punch with me that day. I felt like I got hit in the face with these questions, and I began to think about my son Judah. He's three and a half. He's back in Three Creeks Kids. I began thinking about him, and I was like, Judah's got to know. He's got to know that I just crazy about him. So that night, I went and I just grabbed his face and I was like, dude, <laughs> you got to know something, man. I love you, boy. 
<laughs> and I said, Judah, I'm so proud of you, man. And I said, you are so good at baseball. You're so good at soccer. And I said, that's not why I love you, but you are. You're gifted and I love you. That was on Wednesday night. And then Thursday, I, uh, once every quarter, I do this thing called a spiritual day away where I just kind of try to unplug my phone and go and pray and be with God. And, and it just happened to be this Thursday. So I drove down to Hocking Hills and I got to stay in this cabin just for a day. And uh, I, I don't know how to explain it other than like I was sitting there and I just felt like God grabbed me in the... Whoa. God grabbed me in the face and said, Joel, I love you and I'm proud of you and I didn't make any mistakes and I made you. You're good at this. And I, I just can't even tell you how much I needed to hear that on Thursday. And I don't think I'm the only person in the room who needs to hear that today. That God is proverbially grabbing you in the face and saying, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you're gifted. And I'm not mad at you. I'm mad about you. You're my special possession. And nothing's going to change that. That's how God feels about the church. That's how special we are in the eyes of God. So church, let me recap them for you. I'll tell you all five, and then I'll tell you the one thing they have in common. We're a spiritual house. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are God's special possession or a people belonging to God. Here's what they have in common. We can't be any of those by ourselves. We can be a brick, but we can't be a house. And we can be a person, but you can't be a people. You can't be a people. We can be a priest, but we can't be a priesthood. We cannot be a nation or a people belonging to God all by ourselves. We can't be any of those by ourselves. And so the, the, the idea or the notion that, you know, I'm going to be like, it's going to be me and Jesus, but I don't need church. That's a modern crazy idea that isn't supported ever in the Bible. There's, of course, an aspect of a relationship with God that is personal, but it's always in the context of a fellowship of other Christians. We need the church. We cannot be these things. We cannot be the church that God calls us to be if we're just by ourselves. In the first 400 years, when the church was going crazy and it was just growing. And, and all over that map I showed you, just church popping everywhere. Christians, it's just, Christianity just spread like wildfire in the first 400 years AD. Do you know why that happened? It did not happen because they had a brand or a logo or a band or a website or Google ads or anything that we use now to kind of get churches started. It just was a different 
it was a different time for sure, but it was also a different mentality. The reason why the church just kept growing and people were coming alive in Christ was because, man, they did everything together. They lived their lives by this, this code of the one another's. You heard about this before? It's this, this first century, second century, third century code of the one another's. And if you look in the New Testament, there are 59 things that we're, we're told to do for one another to love one another and serve one another and share with one another and pray for one another and show hospitality to one another. There's 59 of them and they lived their lives by this code that they were gonna do everything for one another. There was not this individualistic, I'm gonna be over here and just do my thing with God. It was always together. It was always together. And so, so with this in mind, I, I don't think I've ever done this before, maybe once or twice. With this in mind, I would like to give you, brace yourself, homework. But I think you're going to love it. I think. I know that, I know that this is going to sound pretty simple, but it's pretty profound. Here's your homework. Dinner. Like, I want you to show yourself and to show our church that you know that by yourself, you cannot be these things. We cannot be the church if we are by ourselves. And so I want you to try to find somebody else in our church and I want you to have them to your house for dinner. And we're gonna start, we're gonna start basic. You got, for round one, you can find somebody that you like, all right? Maybe one day we might ask you to find somebody you don't like. We'll see how that goes. I want you to find somebody you like, and I'm going to, just, just for your sake, I'm not keeping score, let's put a two-week cap on it. Lives are busy. You might have every night this week already booked up. Understand some of that. Got 14 days, and I want you to have somebody over for dinner. Because that, what that would mean is that church isn't happening just on Sunday mornings. Church is happening on Tuesday nights at your house. That's church. Like church is when the people of God get together and do the one another's for each other. And so we serve one another, cook for one another, pray for one another. Here's the topic of conversation. Just lead with some of these questions. What has God been up to in your life recently? What are you hoping that God accomplishes in your heart in the future? What have you been praying for? Just open it up, have a spiritual conversation. Pray for each other and then eat food and laugh and be the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a service. The church is the chosen people of God. And so let's be the church. Let's do the one another's for one another. Let's just have dinner together because that's special and that's spiritual. And it's just good to be together. Let me pray for us. Father, I praise you for this passage of scripture that reminds me who I am and how much you love me. And I pray, God, that you would prevent me from wanting to go home and pull my car in the garage and shut the garage door and go to my house and turn on my TV and just, just be me. I pray, God, that you would spare me from that mentality. I pray, Father, that you would, even this week, give me a chance to serve people in my church. I pray for people in here, even as we're walking out today, I pray for people to have the courage to, 
to tap somebody in the shoulder and say, hey, how about you? Hey, we, we haven't had you over yet. Would you like to come over? I pray, God, that in these living rooms and in these, at these dining room tables, that it would be a spiritual experience, that they could sense your presence because people are together serving each other. I pray, God, that that in and of itself would be this, this spiritual sacrifice, this fragrant offering, this thing that you love to look down on. I pray that you would rejoice in the conversations that happen over food. I pray that we could be the church, that you would always be the cornerstone of the church, that we wouldn't put our hope in anything else. There is only hope because of what you have done for us, God, and so we celebrate that today. Thank you, God, for letting me be a part of this amazing church. Thank you for choosing us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing one more song, and while that's happening, our prayer team is gonna be in the back. If you'd like to pray about anything that I talked about or anything else that's going on in your life, I know there's a group of people that would love to pray with you. Remember, this is not just chit-chat time. This is a very profoundly deep spiritual experience, and I hope that if you feel led to pray, I hope that you would go back there and pray with somebody. We'd, we'd love to pray with you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.